The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. And we're continuing on in our series, we just simply labeled If. I was fascinated by these scriptures in the Bible that hinge on that tiny little two-letter word. And so many things swing so dramatically based on that one little, little word. And so far, we've looked at a couple of the scriptures that that have if as this pivotal word in them. For example, um, a few weeks ago, we looked at the scripture that says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? You remember that? And so we've been talking about the scriptures with the word if in it, and tonight we're going to continue. And the, the title of my message for you tonight is, If You Can Believe. If You Can Believe. Now, set things up like this. The Bible talks about all kinds of different faith. For example, it talks about mustard seed faith, right? So mustard seed, this tiny little seed that is so small you can barely see it. Jesus used that as a picture or a type of of the kingdom. The Bible also talks about saving faith, a faith that leads to salvation. It talks about great faith. And there are examples in the Bible where individuals exercise great faith. And then the Bible also talks about dead faith, James, he said that faith without works that accompany it is dead. So there's such thing as dead faith. And James also talked about demonic faith. He said, you you think that you believe, well, good for you. So do the demons. And so it's not just dead demonic faith that we're looking for. We're looking for something else. And tonight what I want to talk to you about is is this kind of faith. I want to talk about mountain-moving faith. So if you have your Bible... There in Mark chapter 11, begin reading with me in verse 22. Jesus says, have faith in God. And then he said this, truly I tell you, if, everybody say if, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Let me say that again. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the scene, doesn't down their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. So. We're talking here about mountain-moving faith. Now, mountains, in this case, represent those big, immovable, insurmountable obstacles standing in your way. It's that thing that rests in the category labeled impossible in your minds, right? We have things that we're praying for, things that we're believing God for, things that we're asking God to do. And then we have those things in our minds that maybe we're not even aware of, but we don't even pray for this category of things because we've just labeled that box impossible. And so we don't even bring it before God in prayer. That's the box that God's wanting us to pull off the shelf tonight and deal with. For you, your your mountain might be an emotional struggle. 
It might be a financial problem, or a health crisis, or a relational dilemma, or a spiritual attack. Or it could be that the mountain standing in your way just might be a literal, physical mountain. That was the case for this one church that I read about in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina. So there was this small little congregation of about 300 people, and they just built their new sanctuary. But when the building inspector came before they received their certificate of occupancy, he wouldn't give that to them because apparently they lacked sufficient parking for the number of seats that they had built. Now, the only unused plot of land on their property lines was this big dirt hill just adjacent to the sanctuary that they had just built. And the Sunday before they were set to, to move in, the pastor is like, well, we better get a prayer meeting together to ask God to intervene. And at one point during that prayer meeting, he invoked these verses that we just read. And he said, God, we're staring at a mountain, but we believe you're a mountain moving God. And afterwards, he felt like God impressed upon his heart that he was going to deal with their problem. Well, he did in dramatic fashion. You see, the very next day, a man knocked on the door of the church. He, he turned out to be a building contractor from a nearby county. He told the pastor that they were getting ready to build a shopping mall and they needed a whole bunch of fill dirt in order to level the construction site. And he had noticed in driving by this huge hill or mound of dirt behind the church and he wanted to know if his company could buy it. He added if the, if, if the church would sell him this fill dirt, that, that he would be glad to pay for the paving and striping of the new parking lot. So how cool is that? God not only removed this church's mountain, but he paid to have the parking lot leveled, graded, and painted. You see, our God is a mountain-moving God. Will you just help me preach tonight and turn to the person on your right and your left and tell them, our God is a mountain-moving God. He's not intimidated by impossible. In fact, impossible is his specialty. It's where he does his best work. So when the children of Israel began to return to the promised land after having spent 70 years in Babylonian exile and captivity, the man that God tapped on the shoulder to, to lead the rebuilding effort was a, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. And so he leads this wave of exiles back to Jerusalem and he finds the city in ruins. Literally, there is a mountain of rubble standing between him and his real rebuilding project. The, the, the work seemed overwhelming. It seemed insurmountable. And he was heavy hearted about the whole thing. And that's when the Lord came to Zerubbabel. And that's just a cool name. So everybody says Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel had a rubble problem. Okay. There was a mountain of rubble in front of his rubble. That's a mouthful. So the Lord comes to him and he says, says to Zerubbabel, he says, it's not going to be my might. It's not going to be by power, but it's going to be by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's how you're going to deal with this mountain in front of you. And then the Lord added this in Zechariah chapter four, verse seven. What are you, almighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. So let me just ask you as we get started tonight, what mountain are you staring at? 
What is that impossible thing, that immovable object that you need God to relocate in your life? God sent me here to tell you that the mountain standing before you can become level ground. So let's let's talk about now how to exercise mountain moving faith, because I want a little bit of mountain moving faith in my own life. So how do we do that? The first thing to note is that it all begins with having faith in God. That's what Jesus says in verse 22. Faith in God is the foundation for everything else that we want to talk about. Everything else about moving mountains stems from this statement. It begins with faith in God. That's the foundation. Now, the context in which Jesus utters these words is actually kind of interesting. You see, The conversation just prior to this that Jesus was having with his disciples was about this fig tree. On the day prior, Jesus had been walking to Jerusalem with his disciples and he saw a fig tree in leaf, which would have indicated that there was fruit. But when he got to the tree, he saw that there was foliage, but no fruit. It was fake. It was phony. And so Jesus cursed the fig tree. And the following day, they come back to the fig tree and Peter marvels. He says, wow, look at the fig tree. You cursed it yesterday and it's already withered from the roots up. And so the essence of that question is, how do you tap into this power that can transform the world around us? How do you tap into this power to do things like that? And Jesus' response to the disciples was, have faith in God. Now, some people... They say, I don't don't really do faith. I don't believe in faith. I'm more of a science person. I believe in science. (laughs) Faith, they say, is for the simple-minded. Listen, I don't buy that. The truth is, each and every one of us lives by faith every single day. If you got in your car and drove here tonight, you exercise a whole lot of faith. Faith in the other drivers around you, faith in the manufacturer of the car, the person who put together the engine, the person who put together all the different components. If you go to the doctor and he gives you a prescription to fulfill, you take that medicine, you're exercising faith that the doctor isn't a quack, that he knows what he's talking about. You're also exercising faith in the pharmacist to fill the prescription with the right pills and label it in the right way and tell you to take it at the right doses on the right day. If you get in a plane, that's a whole nother level of faith. We don't get aerodynamics and aviation, and we haven't met the pilot. We don't know where he went to school, but we just get on the plane. We're like, where's our peanuts? We exercise faith all the time. So so the question isn't tonight whether or not you have faith. We all have faith. The question for each of us is, what is your faith in? Jesus said, we need to have faith in God. Now, note, he didn't say you need to have faith in yourself. That's the mantra that a lot of people live by today, isn't it? Have faith in you. It's the self-help movement's favorite saying. Some people erroneously teach, well, hey, doesn't the Bible say that God helps those who help themselves? No, no, it doesn't say that. Actually, do you know what? That's a Benjamin Franklin quote. God didn't say that. Actually, you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible says that God helps those who can't help themselves. The Bible teaches that God helps the helpless. So it's not have faith in yourself. And it's not have faith in faith. Right? That's the other thing people try to do. It's not faith in some general or generic sense that God is calling us to have. 
It's not even the greatness of our faith that's, that's the, the main point of what's being discussed here, but rather it's the object of our faith. All the emphasis in this sentence should be placed on the words in God. Have faith in God. Because when you put your faith in God, all it takes is an itty bitty little bit of faith in a great big God to move even a mountain. In Matthew 17, Jesus said it like this. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but he said this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, if you have mustard seed faith, just tiny little mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, that's not telling us, OK, I've just got to muster up more faith. No, it's it's about taking the little bit of faith you already have and just putting it in the very big, capable hands of God. That, that's what we're talking about. And when you do that, the word impossible can just be thrown out the window. Years ago, I heard someone say that if you're looking for God's telephone number, you can find it right there in Jeremiah 33.3. Because here's what the Lord says to us in Jeremiah 33.3. Call me and I will answer you. And I'll tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Here's what that's telling me. God is just sitting there waiting for his kids to call out to him so that he can show up and show off for them and on their behalf. So having faith in God, it's absolutely foundational, absolutely key. But the next part of what Jesus goes on to say is just as important. You see, if you really want to see your mountain move, then you also need to begin to speak to it. Notice how Jesus said, if anyone says to this mountain, the if makes it a conditional promise. If you want to see your mountain move, then you have to begin to speak to it. Now, let's talk about that. Why does God want us talking to our impossible problems? Why does he command us to speak to our mountains? I'll tell you why, because words are powerful things. Words aren't just sounds that are escaping as we push air through our larynx and, and, and form shapes with our mouths. We're not just conveying messages. There's more going on there. You know, a lot of times we just kind of casually toss words around without even thinking about them. But we would do well to remember that our words are more than just information. With our words, we can build people up or we can tear people down. The Bible talks about how the power of life and death itself are tied up in the tongue. So the words that we speak are a unique and powerful gift from God. Just as a reminder, when God created the universe, he used his words, didn't he? He said, let there be light. Over and over again in Genesis 1, we read, and God said. God said it, and so it was. Let there be light. Let there be plants. Let there be living creatures. Let us make man in our image. All of these things in the world exist because God spoke them into existence. Now, you and I don't have that kind of power with our words, right? We can't create out of nothing with our words. However, when we, listen, this is so key, when we align our words with what God has already declared, our words carry the same weight and authority as his word. So when we speak the word of God, we are declaring the truth of God and those things become realities. You see, there comes a moment 
in each of our lives when we must stop talking to God about our mountains and we need to start talking to our mountains about our God. We need to tell our mountains about how big our God is. We need to proclaim his power. We need to declare his sovereignty. We need to affirm his faithfulness. We need to stand on his word and declare that God has said it. And so it must be. If God said it, then it must come to pass. So we cling to the promises of God. This is, this is why we need to learn how to speak to our mountains. But the other reason why God wants us to verbalize our faith is because whenever you say something with your mouth, it has a way of solidifying in your heart what you believe. So I'll give you a scripture to back this up. Romans 10, 9 says it like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Two parts to that. It's not just believing in your heart. But there is a belief in your heart that works in tandem with a confession that comes from your lips. It's, it's not either or, it's, it's both and. And when I confess with my lips what I believe in my heart, it has a way of solidifying that truth and making it more real in my life. The bottom line is this. God's words have power. And when we speak his word over our lives and to our circumstances, our words have power too. So if you want to speak with authority, if you want to start moving mountains, then you need to first align your heart with God's, have faith in God. Then you need to speak his word over your situation. This can totally transform and revolutionize the way you pray for people, the way you deal with problems. If you will put this into practice, I promise you. I love how our church is moving in the miraculous. And we're not just here on Sundays to, to receive and take in sermons, but we're here to experience the power of God. Now that's power on a whole nother level. When we pray for people at the end of our communion services, God is moving powerfully. Cancer is being healed. Lives are being transformed. Prodigals are coming back home. This world, this community, it's being shifted and changed. Why? Because we're praying in faith in accordance with the will and purposes of God. Amen. But there's another part to this that's also just as important, because when we speak to our mountain, we have to do it without doubting in our hearts. That's what Jesus goes on to say. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, then it will be done for them. So this, this statement speaks to the nature of our faith. I like Philip Yancey's definition of faith. He's a great author. And he says, faith is believing in advance something that will only seem logical in reverse. So it's believing in advance what there's no evidence to support in the present. And sometimes I think this is where we get lost a little bit, right? Because we want to see it to believe it. And God says, no, you believe it and then you'll see it. So I need you to believe in advance before the mountain is moved. I want you to, to speak and believe and not doubt in your heart that I will move it. Sometimes when I hear people pray, the prayers are so small and so pathetic. And we give God just like so many outs that by the end of it, you wonder if we even really believe God will do the things we're asking him to do or if he's even capable of it. We need to learn how to pray with faith. Like this story I read about a little 
girl in this farming community. The, the community had been experiencing this drought. And so the pastor of a local church decided to hold a prayer meeting. He invited the, the whole town and nearly everyone showed up. And as he got ready to pray, he happened to look out on the people who were there praying with him. And he saw this little girl standing there in the front row with a beaming smile on her face. And then he looked down and he noticed that of all the people there, this little girl was the only one who happened to bring with her a big, brightly colored umbrella. I love that. She was praying in faith. And that's what praying with faith looks like. It doesn't just pray for rain. It also brings an umbrella. And I think we could use a little bit more of that kind of prayer in our lives, expecting God to show up, expecting God to move, expecting God to heal, expecting the miracle. Jesus elaborates on this point in verse 24 when he talks about prayer. He says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, is that not the most incredible promise <laughs> And, and as we read it, even, I almost bristle a little bit because as incredible as it is, we, we've seen this verse misapplied and misused by a lot of preachers. They've abused it over the years. Perhaps you've heard preachers on TV say things like, well, you know, if, if you can name it, then you can play, you can claim it. And, and if you can see it, you can be it. If you can blab it, you can grab it. And, and they use this verse as a, a pretext for just collecting money and ripping people off. The problem with that is it doesn't take into consideration the context. You see, this, this promise, as great as it is in verse 24, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it'll be yours. You have to read it within its proper context. It's not just a blank check so you can have whatever you want. Woohoo! I want a Bentley. I want, a, you know, <laughs> some new shoes and a nice house and all the rest. No, no, no. There are conditions that have to be met. The first one we've already talked about. Your prayers need to be motivated by and in line with faith in God. It has to harmonize with faith in God. And there are other parameters and conditions and qualifiers to this verse as well. James, in his epistle, talks about some of the reasons why more of our prayers aren't answered when he says this. You don't have because you do not ask. Now, I love that part of it. And it always conjures up in my mind this image of this huge warehouse in heaven, like an Amazon fulfillment center filled with all of these answers to prayer that God's just saying, come on, ask me, ask me so I can send it. And he's just waiting to fulfill all of those requests. You don't have because you haven't asked. There are things that God is wanting to give you, hasn't given you yet because he's waiting for you to ask. Think about that. We need to ask more. But then he says, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly that you might spend it on your pleasures. In other words, our hearts are in the wrong place oftentimes. And God's not going to give us something that would be bad for us. It's kind of like, you know, my kids. My kids would love to have ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But because I'm a good dad, I tell them no. Why? Because I know what's best for them. And God's not going to give you things that aren't going to be good for you. So there are conditions, there are parameters that must be met before we can claim this incredible promise. We have to pray in harmony with faith in God, and we have to not pray in a selfish manner. But once those conditions are met, man, it is game on. Jesus is inviting us here to bring our biggest 
in our boldest request to him. Think about that word, whatever. That's pretty all-encompassing, I'd say. I mean, that pretty much covers the gamut of things that you can think of. Whatever you ask for. Scriptures like this one remind all of us that big prayers honor our big God. In fact, one of my favorite authors says it like this. There's a good chance that if your prayers don't intimidate you, that they probably insult God. You see what he's saying there? If it's not so big to you that it's a little bit scary, then it might be insulting to God. Why? Because he's God. By definition, that means nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too hard for him. He spans the whole universe in the palm of his hands. And he's honored when we come to him with our biggest, grandest, greatest requests. So another story, this one's about Alexander the Great. And there was this guy in his army who had served him well through various wars. And so Alexander approached this young man in his army one day and he said, you know what, ask me whatever you want and I'm going to give it to you. That's a big thing to, to throw out there. And the guy said, hmm, he thought about it for a minute. And then he asked for a staggering amount of money. At first, Alexander was taken aback by what he asked for. But then to everyone's surprise, he told his treasurer, okay, go into my treasury, get the money and give it to this guy. Give him what he's asked for. When someone later on came to him and approached him and asked him why he gave what, what the man had asked for, here's what he responded with. The soldier's request, it honored me in three ways. First, he believed my word. He took me at his, my word. Second, he understood and believed that I had the wealth to cover what I had said. And third, he believed my willingness to do it. So I gave him the money. And I think that's a lot like the Lord. He's honored in the same way when we believe his word, when we believe that he's wealthy enough to cover the cost of whatever we're asking for, and when we believe that he's willing and desiring to help us. But there's something else I want to point out. As you look at verse 24, it's interesting because the tenses change. He begins in the present tense, whatever you ask for. Then he goes to the past tense and says, believe that you already have received it. And then he lands in the future tense, it will be yours. So we ask in the present tense, we believe that we've had it, past tense, and then it will be yours in the future tense. That's a little confusing, isn't it? What's going on here? Well, this is how it works, right? Because God is God, we can be sure that he's at work working to answer our prayers before we even begin to pray them. And because he lives outside of time, the prayers we pray today are certain of being fulfilled, even if we don't see the answers until tomorrow or next year or a decade from now. This is how the Apostle Paul could say things like, you have been glorified, Romans 8.30. This is how Paul can say, you are right now at this moment seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, I think, verse 6. We are seated with him. Wait a minute, Paul. We're, we haven't been glorified. We're in process. Paul, we aren't seated in the heavenlies with Christ right now. That's a future reality, but it's not our present 
circumstance. Well, here's the deal. If God says something is going to happen, it's as good as done, which is why Paul could talk about things as though they had already happened, even though they're future tense. That's what faith works, how faith works. That's what it looks like. So I was thinking of like a context or an example of, of ways that we would see this in our modern world. And I was thinking about, you know, the Super Bowl. When you watch the Super Bowl, it doesn't matter which team wins. Right after the Super Bowl is over and they blow the whistle, the confetti falls onto the field. And what happens? All the players put on these T-shirts that say Super Bowl champs, Saints or Chargers or Broncos or whatever year 2021. And you're like, wait a minute, the Super Bowl ended like four seconds ago and they already have t-shirts declaring them the winners. How could they have done that? It's not like they ran in their car and ran over to the print shop and put some t-shirts together and ran back. No, no, they made the t-shirts in advance. That's a type of confident faith that God is calling on us as his kids to live with. One other point should be made. Sometimes when we pray, we have a promise of a specific blessing. And so we pray with total confidence. But there are a lot of other times when we're not sure what the will of God is. And ultimately, this is the key to prayer. Prayer isn't about me getting my will done in heaven. Prayer is about God accomplishing his will here on earth. So when you understand that, you're going to be asking for God to give you his desires. This is what uh, I think it's Psalm 34, 7 means when it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We're like, all right, the desires of my heart. Hold on there. When you're delighting yourself in the Lord, what happens? Your desires come into alignment with God's desires so that you're praying the things that he's wanting to see accomplished here on the earth. So... One of the greatest things you can pray is, God, show me your will. God, I want to accomplish your purposes. God, bring me into alignment with your plan. The other thing that can hinder or limit our prayers from being answered is found in verse 26 when Jesus says, as you're praying, don't forget to extend forgiveness to people that you're holding bitterness against. Now, now this, is, this is a key because it could be that one of the reasons you're not seeing more mountains moved in your life is because you're holding on to unforgiveness in your heart and God's not gonna do that kind of work in your life while you're holding unforgiveness towards your spouse or towards a friend or towards a parent or towards someone who's been dead for 27 years. You say, I can't forgive them after what they've done to me. Listen, forgiveness isn't about them. It's primarily about setting you free. The word forgive literally means to unbind or untangle. Think of a knot that's just all knotted up. When you forgive someone, it releases you. Bitterness, when we hold on to bitterness and we think, I'm going to make them pay, they hurt me, and so I get to be angry at them, and that's, that's my right. What you're doing is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. They're totally unaffected. They're moving on with their life. And so when you forgive them, when you walk in forgiveness, what it does is it sets you free, and it opens up the, the doors of opportunity for God to start moving your life in miraculous, powerful ways. You say, but I tried to forgive them, and then it came right back. Forgive them again and keep on forgiving them. 
Forgive them a hundred times if that's what it takes. Every time the offense is renewed and brought up in your mind, it's a new opportunity to apply the blood of Jesus. Now, when you do that, you can step into the fullness of what Jesus is talking about here. And you will begin to see mountains move. I'm talking about those things that have stood transfixed in a specific geographical area of your heart or life. It could have been for decades. God wants to take that mountain and he wants to move it. When Jesus said this, he was standing on the Mount of Olives. And I can just picture him with a twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face, kind of tapping the mountain. If you have faith in God, see this mountain? Cast it into the sea. Kind of power is this? Let's remember who we're talking about here. The God of the universe. And if God exists, then everything else is possible. So whatever it is you're facing tonight, and we all have a different mountain, we're going to name it. We're going to cast it into the sea. We're going to walk in forgiveness. We're going to walk in authority. We're going to walk in power. We're going to see God do some cool stuff. Because that's what we're here to do. We're not just here to like get another like 30 minute talk like, oh, well, you know, something else to write in my Bible. No, no, we want to see God write stories with our lives that we can tell our grandkids about. We want to see miracles happen. We want to see lives changed. We want to see hearts healed, dead things come back to life, things that are on life support be restored. We want to see the impossible happen. That's what moving mountains is all about. And it's possible if, if you're willing to speak to it, if you believe with your heart and you don't doubt, if you're willing to extend forgiveness because you've received God's forgiveness, if you'll walk in those things, then you'll start to see mountains move. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. It's so sweet, so fun. I love your word. It's amazing, life-giving, life-altering life transform. I pray that tonight hearts would be transformed. I pray that tonight would be the beginning of something new for a lot of people. I pray that tonight mountains would move. Here's what I want to happen right now. I want you to think about that thing. I want you to go in your mind to the file folder labeled impossible. Go into that file folder, pull it out. What do you have written down in that file? It might be one thing. It might be three things. It might be a long list. There's no way God could heal this. There's no way God could change this. There's no way God could turn this around. With God, all things are possible. If you have faith in God. And now we're going to speak to our mountains in faith. And you can just say it in the quietness of your own heart. You can begin to Preach it to yourself, and you, you're going to speak it over your situation on your drive home. But I want you to begin right now. Just say, God, say it out loud. Say, God, I believe you can move my mountain. Give me the faith to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.